What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, 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 and thanks for stopping by the Chase Thomas podcast, the very best sports independent podcast that you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to not only listen to me talk about sports, but would also like to read my articles where I talk about sports, I would advise you to check out chasemuspodcast.com. Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, you can do so by emailing me at chasemuspodcast at gmail.com, following me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas, or you can follow my first guest, Pro Football Focus's Austin Gale at PFF underscore Austin Gale, or just liking the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas Ryder. Like I said, on today's episode, Pro Football Focus's NFL editor, Austin Gale, followed by Barcelona Sports' Jack McGuire. So, Austin, <laughs> I need to know, do the Cleveland Browns know what they're doing right now? Um, that's, that's a tough question. I, it, you have to think from a overall de- definitely very dysfunctional start to the season, you know, you know, having such a good defense in terms of forcing turnovers and still struggling on the offensive side of the ball just raises a lot of concerns, specifically for a head coach like Hugh Jackson that supposedly specializes in offense. You have Todd Haley, who's been around the league for a long time. He not also getting the job done with honestly the best weapons and skill players and quarterback the Browns have had in a very long time. I think it was bound to happen eventually. And I think they cut the cord maybe too late. I, I think this this organization makes a move earlier. They may be able to swing things around a lot easier, a lot quicker, and potentially even push for a playoff. Right, you know, playoffs in a AFC North that is by no, by no means no one's running away with that division. I think it might be too late for them to rally back at this point. But do they know what they're doing? Yes. Finally, I think getting Hugh Jackson out of there makes the most sense. Getting an offensive mind and maybe in the offseason, maybe reuniting Lincoln Riley with Baker Mayfield. The direction they're going is better than where they were before. I just you know, you wish they took this step a little bit earlier. Right. I don't know why they brought him back. That was the biggest thing is like they added Todd Haley into the mix and that was always a weird fit anyway. And just because there was also like the weird stuff going on between him and Big Ben when he left Pittsburgh. So that was a little strange, but obviously he has some sort of connection to Dorsey, the general manager. They didn't cross paths in Kansas City, did they? I don't think so. No, I don't I don't think so. And you speak to Todd right. Haley, he's he's a guy that's always kind of been known for, you know, beating to his own drum and to go an, an offensive mind like him that really likes to stay, you know, keep his lane, his way, kind of or the highway to go with an offensive minded coach like Hugh Jackson that has experience calling plays, wants his hand, you know, his hand on the puppet strings um, in terms of developing that offense. I just didn't ever see that, you know, that, that matchup working. You saw it in hard knocks, hard knocks slightly that experience they had together that it wasn't, you know, starting off on the right foot. And I think it just continued to worsen off camera. And I think, Th- that that was never going to work if you were going to just go with Todd Haley. He's a bullheaded guy that maybe is doesn't have doesn't have it anymore to be just the only guy making decisions. And honestly, it led John Dorsey to cutting them both. Do you know who this reminds me of? Who? 
the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. So Jason Garrett has been around for a very long time. We've all been kind of confused as to why Jason Garrett is still around. And we're not really sure what he does. And it's a weird fit where they brought in Scott Linehan to run the offense a couple years ago. They have Rod Marinelli doing full control on the defense. And you have this head coach who no one's certain where they stand in the pantheon of coaches, but we all know they're not a top five coach and definitely not a top 10 coach. So we're just kind of confused as to what they're actually, what the purpose of having them as head coaches. And I, I don't know. That was my thought when I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, the only other situation that kind of reminds me of like just stripping so much power from your head coach and just having this like placeholder mannequin style head coach is the Dallas Cowboys with Jason Garrett. And uh, you're not going to believe this, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out with Jason Garrett long term in Dallas anyway. But then again, he has lasted a really long time and he outlasted Hugh in Cleveland. But um, this was always something that I thought was going to happen because I wrote for Vice Sports like I guess it's been two years now um, when he first took this job. He was the hot coordinator name. Remember, he was interviewing with like San Francisco, Philadelphia. He was a hot name because of what he did for Andy Dalton. Um, in Cincinnati where they went on that big run. And if he doesn't get hurt and they have to start A.J. McCarron in that awful playoff game against the Steelers, they were in prime position to go on a Super Bowl run. And my point was at the time was like Hugh Jackson has all this momentum, all this just kind of good faith, leverage, everything that you would want if you're a hot coordinator name. And he took the Browns job that he knew going in was going to be a long-term rebuild. There was no questions that Sashi Brown was going to go the Philadelphia 76ers route. And he took it anyway. And I said, this was dumb because that was his last shot to get a head coaching job because he already got fired once in, in uh, Oakland. And this was just a bad idea. Like, why would you take this Browns job as your last chance to be a long-term head coach in the NFL? And it turns out that uh, he did not make it uh, to the, to the end to see where this would all go with Baker and everybody else. But um, yeah, Hugh Jackson. I think he should have stayed in Cincinnati. And already questions about Marvin Lewis bringing him back, even though Bill Lazor has got his laser-focused offense dialed in with Mr. 2.5 seconds or less Andy Dalton, which <laughs> I very much love. Yeah, absolutely. I think Hugh Jackson, I'm glad you brought up kind of his history. He was a hot coordinator name. He was, you know, one of those young offensive, I mean, not necessarily young, but budding offensive, you know, minds that people, people liked. And when he went into Oakland before he took on that, you know, head coaching job, he had, you know, an offense that was humming. He was, you know, his, his, his offensive scheme was work. You know, he was able to use Darren McFadden better than I think anyone's used Darren McFadden outside the Cowboys, but mainly because of that offensive line, he was able to have that success. I think what happened was is he just bit off more than he could chew. And that's, you know, the death of a lot of you know, the death. I was a little drastic, but the downfall of a lot of coaches is when they get in the building and they want to, it's their team, it's their players. They make the decisions across the board. And you saw that again, you bring up hard knocks where he's saying, this is my team. I run the show. Right. I get the blame. I'm going, you know, I'm going this way or the highway. And when you're not willing to accept dissent, when you're not willing to say, Hey, you know what? I think I might be wrong here. This is your expertise. Let's roll with you. When you're, when you're just in that bubble of like, it's my decisions or nothing. That's when your downfall starts. It's, you have to be willing to, you know, take the expertise of other guys to be good. I mean, you look at Wade Phillips in Los Angeles. Can you imagine if Sean McVay just didn't let, you know, Wade Phillips run the show on defense? That'd be insane. Wade Phillips is one of the smartest defensive minds in football. If Sean McVay, because it's his team, tried to have his hand on what was going on over there, it would make zero sense. And I think you saw that with Hugh Jackson. You see that with some other coaches that are struggling in this league. Yeah. 
Uh, it should be interesting to see what happens with him and Haley. If they're both just like out of the league or um, they both wind up in coordinator positions. Because if you look across the league, Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah moved the Sixers talking about this a couple days ago. And I agree that when you look through like the coordinators in this league right now, you're not looking at like guys that you're really excited about being head coaches in the next couple of years. It, it seems like there is a dearth of coordinator talent and the next wave is going to be college head coaches. Like we're going to see Lincoln Riley. And, you know, my first thought with Cleveland was, oh God, is Urban Meyer going to the Browns? Is this heading? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm growing more and more into the camp that, you know, he's not long for Ohio State for a multitude of reasons. And there was a good piece by Alex Kirshner on SB Nation outlining the variables there. But he's an Ohio guy. He just moves at the ladder, never done the NFL thing. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult to get a big name like Lincoln Riley to go to Cleveland. If you're Lincoln Riley, and uh, Bruce Feldman made this point this week that is interesting, is that Oklahoma has the best AD in the country. And Lincoln Riley's very young. He has his old head coach from Eastern Carolina as his defensive coordinator now. He's in a recruiting hotbed. He is going to compete for national championships for the foreseeable future. He has all the power in the world. There is really no reason for him to leave unless it's just the perfect NFL job. And I don't think there's ever been a scenario where the Cleveland Browns were the perfect NFL job. So as much as I love Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett, I cannot say that it would be a wise decision for Lincoln Riley to team back up with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. I just think they're going to have a tough time, but you know who they could get urban Meyer. (laughs) Yeah, I think Urban Meyer is a fit. Obviously, he's an Ohio guy, but I'm not willing to count out Lincoln Riley. I, I think not understanding his, you know, where his interests are and his passions and his like career trajectory. What does he want to be? You know, there's a lot of coaches at the college level that are you know d- dying to get to the NFL level. Obviously, you have the Savins, the Myers, the, you know, the guys that have been there forever and really love the college grind. But there's a lot of coaches more than you no know, more than more than most. You know, most coaches at the college level want to get to that NFL level and. You look at Baker Mayfield, the connection's there, and if the interest is there, it's hard to turn down a job that I'm, I'm sure, you know, you can't be sure if it's him or not, but a lot of college coaches are dying to get to that level, and I think you can't rule them out. I think if there was a team to do it, going with your old quarterback that you you know broke records with with Baker Mayfield, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think it just comes down to what, what does he want to be? Do you want to be a co- college coach for the rest of your life? Then I wouldn't leave Oklahoma for a long time because you, you said it. You got the AD. You, you're in you know, a, hot, a recruiting He's hotbed. super young. Yes, true. He's also super young, but you've seen the success that you know Sean McVay's had at a, you know, at a young age. I think mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of interest to move to that NFL level and become an even bigger name. Yes, he's big in the college ranks, but if you become a big NFL coach and you know really make your mark in history as an NFL coach, I mean, there has to be some level of interest there if you are in the coaching biz. Yeah, it should be interesting to see. I love the Mike McCarthy to Cleveland stuff because of the John Dorsey green bay ties and if he gets fired because it does seem like if the packers don't make the playoffs which i don't think is happening i mean counting out aaron Rodgers is a foolish thing but who knows maybe trading ty montgomery in the most brutal cold way possible is what is exactly what this uh, franchise needed down the stretch but yeah i mean it's gonna be interesting to see but if i'm any kind of intriguing hot commodity coaching candidate I'm not taking the Cleveland job because I also don't want to work for Jimmy Haslam. Why would you ever sign up to work for Jimmy Haslam at this point? There's no certainty where any of this is going. Unless you're like Peyton Manning, who has ties to the Haslam family. 
I just I would not take any any chance on working for him as an owner. I I would stay the f- I just I would stay away yeah. because I think Lincoln Riley can do better. And I think, dude, if you give me Dak with Lincoln Riley, who knows? That's super intriguing. Like I know he's gonna be good with Baker. What can he do with Dak? Who knows? Yeah, it's it's a good call, and I think it's all speculation at this point in terms of what his you know affinity towards Baker Mayfield is, the Browns, the roster, the Haslam family, all of that kind of comes down to his own interest because I think. He, the, the Browns are at a point where if Lincoln Riley said, you know, was willing to do it, they would give him the offer. It's going to be in, on Lincoln Riley's plate to decide. It's not the other way around where should we right. give Lincoln Riley a chance? They don't have the leverage. Yeah, the, Lincoln yeah. Riley has all the leverage. And when you give someone all the leverage, it becomes totally on their interest. Because from a money standpoint, I don't think it's going to be too much of a difference making that leap. And I think there may be even other NFL teams that could offer more money. And, and it just really comes down to that personal level. Can he? Does he think he can win with the Browns, his former quarterback, Baker Mayfield? Does he think he needs to, you know, continue the career path in Oklahoma, or you know, like you said, Dak, maybe, maybe Green Bay? I don't know. Where he thinks, you know, he can play and perform the best is where he's going to end up. Green Bay is actually maybe my favorite. Give Aaron Rodgers Lincoln Riley and that offensive scheme. Oh my God, I that's that's the answer actually. I've talked myself out of Lincoln at uh, Dallas. I actually want him in Green Bay. We've solved all the problems. Mike McCarthy to Cleveland, Lincoln Riley to Green Bay, and Dallas can have. Jason Garrett, come on, keep it going. Oh, right, or Nick Saban. <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? Nick Saban in Cleveland would be a really fascinating like case study in sports. Mm-hmm. Can the winningest college football coach of all time turn around the worst franchise in the NFL? Like, just thinking about whether or not those two things, like how that would unfold. I- I'm all the way here for that. Yeah, a career college football coach like that, like Nick Saban, it's just so hard to imagine him in an NFL job just because of, you know, the differences are so much more heartfelt when you've been in the college game for so long, not just in the college game for so long, but at the top of the college game for so long, he understands the recruiting process. He understands eligibility and all that stuff. He is so ingrained in in coaching younger players, dealing with younger coaches. He is so a part of that to put him from the top to the bottom in the NFL where everything is a lot different, free agency, paying people, all that stuff. It'd be it'd be very interesting to see you know that transition as good of a, as of a coach he is at the college level that transition is not easy especially when you've kind of fallen and it's easy I'm sure for Saban to fall into this kind of sense of uh, expect you know you're expecting to win ten games every year and to go to an NFL where ten wins eight wins you know not even six wins is expected for pretty much any team besides the Patriots it'd be very interesting to see Saban move up to the NFL. So I need to, last thing on the Browns, and I promise we'll move on. But, you know, I care about my man Baker. I want to ensure that he is going to be um, in the best position possible going forward. But uh, speaking of Baker Mayfield, are you concerned at all with his last couple weeks? Because it does seem like the narrative has kind of shifted with some people where they're like, ooh, are we sure? Baker, he came out hot. He beat the Jets. He caught fire. But if you look at the grading, especially at Pro Football Focus, he's still the best graded rookie quarterback. He's still... Um, I mean, I, I haven't wavered, but um, is there anything over the last couple of weeks that leads you to believe that there is some cause for concern with Baker and maybe his accuracy dealing with um, a terrible offensive line, by the way? Like, Cleveland's sneaky bad offensive line now. Like, it's not the Cleveland Browns, the Joe Thomas Cleveland Browns that we grew up with. Um, as much as we love Mr. Hard Knocks guy, um, the what is, like, just his, um, when he, like, burped or something or when he would talk, his, like, stomach would coincide with the way you talked um 
<laughs> but uh, not a great offensive line coach, it turns out. But anyway, what do you think of Baker's play the last couple of weeks? The scariest thing about Baker Mayfield's play is how often he's been under pressure and forced to do yep. more than maybe his his the talent around him is even capable of. This last game, he was under pressure nearly half the times he dropped back. And when that happens early in a game, and you like to think analytics, and you know, every play's the same – mentality shifts when it happens early and you're under pressure on every play, even plays where you do have time, you get scary feet and, and it's hard to really settle on your five step and seven step dropbacks. And that's what we really saw in this last game. We saw Baker Mayfield that got rattled early with a horrendous amount of pressure. And even when he wasn't pressure, he was maybe making decisions he would like to have back. And then when he was under pressure, he was trying to do so much. And you know, sometimes he was able to scramble out and make a nice pass to Antonio Cowley for a touchdown. And other times it's, Hey, you know, bad pass under pressure. You would know, like to have that one back, but you can't really shift a lot of the blame on him for that because from a clean pocket, he's still one of the, you know, one of not just one of the best rookie quarterbacks, but one of the best you know quarterbacks in the NFL from a clean pocket. He just hasn't had a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. And then you look at it, his receiving core. His receiving core has dropped more of his attempts, a higher percentage of his attempts than any other quarterback in the NFL. He's not getting any help from Njoku, Jarvis Landry, you know, Antonio Callaway. And when you combine that with a bad offensive line now, it's very hard to grade well and play well in this league when everyone around you is not, you know, not really, you know, doing their work, you know, doing their stuff. Nick Chubb has played outstanding on a limited sample size, but they've gone down so early to the point where they have to throw the ball more with an offensive coordinator than Todd Haley no longer wasn't wasn't performing well, was maybe making bad decisions. Hugh Jackson, you know, Todd Haley aren't working well on the sideline. He's in a very hard spot, and we knew that coming in. We knew going into Cleveland was not an ideal spot. It's not the worst spot to be starting under center as a rookie quarterback. But the way he's been able to handle it through all the adversity still is enough promise to say, this guy's got it. He just needs more help. And like any Browns quarterback or rookie quarterback that came in, he's going to need a lot of help. I think the next coach just needs to study what Bill Lazor has done in Cincinnati this year. I think that's the I think that's the game plan if, with Baker in this offensive line. Like they traded for Cordy Glenn, which was a big under the radar signing. They are getting the ball out quickly. They're running a very college friendly offense. They're making it easy for Andy Dalton to get the ball out quickly. And because he like the reason that their season just torpedoed last year was Andy Dalton didn't have time and they got destroyed. And now Tyler Boyd and everybody else is going off, and their offense still isn't skipping a beat even without uh, Tyler Eifert again this season. But uh, yeah, I, maybe Bill Lazor's the answer there. But that's enough Browns. <laughs> Um, for a while. How will Amari Cooper do in Dallas? I think Amari Cooper, and I've said this on multiple, you know, multiple hits I've done since the trade, is a fantastic receiver with wide receiver one high-end potential in this league when he's used like a wide receiver one. In Oakland, he was targeted on 14.4% of his routes this year, the lowest of his career and one of the lowest in the NFL among wide receivers. In his best year, he was targeted on 24.6% of his routes. It's a lot of it is usage. A lot of it is getting him the football, feeding him the football like you would in Antonio Brown, in New Hopkins, a you know AJ Green. You target them on over twenty percent, over twenty two percent of their routes because you know those guys are your guys. When he falls out of the game plan and falls out of favor with the quarterback, offensive coordinator, whoever it is, he's going to struggle. Be, you know because he's not able to. You know you see very few wide receivers with target percentages under twenty percent play well in this league. And if you're just not confident in him as a wide receiver one, I just don't think you're evaluating his skill set enough. I think he's going to go into Dallas, a Dallas wide receiver room that doesn't have really any wide receiver worth over 20% of their targets. I mean, uh, 20% targets on their routes. And he's going to be targeted a lot. And if he is, I think he's going to ex excel. 
Okay. I, I mean, I think so too, but I also wonder, because it's funny how narratives just shift so quickly with certain guys. It was, oh, Dak is going to benefit because he doesn't have all these uh, friendly targets that he's been accustomed to that he would target too much, like Dez and Witt and everybody else. It's, he'll spread the ball around more, and it's going to be good for him. And it turns out this offense, Dak is one of those quarterbacks kind of like Andy Dalton, who just needs as many weapons as humanly possible because that's just the kind of quarterback he is. I still like Dak in a vacuum, but he needs Ezekiel Elliott uh, catching passes out of the backfield, which has been a difference maker this year. Uh, he needs better offensive line play. But you know what? They just promoted Mark Colombo, my guy, to <laughs> offensive line coach because they just fired their offensive line coach midseason, who they acquired in a weird offseason trade with like the Bengals offensive line coach, which another Bengals reference in this podcast. They are the team of the week for me, I guess. We'll see. But uh, they got the Cowboys uh, offensive line coach who put together that uh, great offensive unit of the last couple of years. So another under the radar stuff to keep track of during the offseason. But um, is there kind of concern um, with this Cowboys offensive line? And if Dak is going to have the time to find Amari Cooper as often as he needs to be, as you laid out? Yes, there is absolute concern with this offensive line. It's completely flipped the script since the Frederick injury. It is not the same offensive line. It really shows how volatile good offensive lines in this league are. You look at Oakland in 2016, was going toe-to-toe with the Cowboys for best offensive line. Both those offensive lines have fallen off a cliff due to injuries, mostly injuries, and other than that, you know, schemes change, all that stuff really affects how an offensive line can gel. And now you look at Dak Prescott, there are a handful of quarterbacks in this league, maybe even less than a handful, that can elevate the play of bad players. You look at a Tom Brady, you want you want, obviously have to factor in a Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, unfortunately, maybe shockingly, isn't one of those guys. He's not a guy right. that he's going to go into a system with Michael Gallup, you know, Deontay Thompson, or that wide receiver. I don't even know his name. <laughs> Cole Beasley, who is a standout wide receiver, but not in the wide receiver one. No tight mm-hmm. end from a year ago. Bad off the line. He's not a guy that's going to come out there and shine better than his teammates. He's a guy that needs good players around him to excel. You could look at an Andy Dalton. Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green are both having really good years. They're finding ways to get around a bad offensive line, and Joe Mixon is having a career year. You look at even you know Joe Flacco this year, just adding, just revamping that receiving core with John Brown alone to open up the deep threat has helped him out a ton, and the offensive line is playing a lot better. Healthy Marshall Yonda looks good. There are certain quarterbacks in this league, when you fit them with good players, they start to look better. Dak Prescott needs mm-hmm. those good players, and I think Amari Cooper is a step in the right direction. I don't think they're, I don't think they're done. They need help at tight end. I think they need to maybe add some more youth to the offensive line. Running game needs to get going, but Amari Cooper is a big step in the right direction in an NFC East that is far from closed. I think they can come out with that one with an easy win in that division if they turn things around offensively. So you're a believer that they can still catch uh, the Washington Redskins or Philadelphia Eagles? Yes, I, I think the Washington Redskins okay. might be the worst winningest team in the NFL right now. I, I think a lot of their wins oh, wow. have not been... Not a believer in the Mason Foster, DJ Swearinger, uh, now... Um, who do they just trade for? Uh, HaHa Clinton Dix. I mean, hey man, that defense... I think it's legit. I, I do Jim like Tom that defense. Sula, Greg Minuski defense. That's an underrated combo. I love the defense. I think DJ Swearinger and HaHa Clinton Dix are going to be a, a crazy safety tandem. I think there are some question marks at corner. I think there are some question marks at pass rusher when Ryan Kerrigan isn't on. But you turn to the offensive mm-hmm. side of the ball, and I know you're a big Alex Smith wins regular season oh. games, but those wide oh. receivers what are is he very doing bad. Right now, Austin, what is <laughs> Alex Smith doing at this very moment? Winning regular season games. <laughs> that is what my man does. I just not willing to put any any level of chips 
in Alex Smith's favor with the receivers he has. The the, the offensive line is not as close as it could could be. I like Brandon Scherf. I like Trent Williams. But other than that, there are some weaknesses on that offensive line. The running game, Adrian Peterson, vintage Adrian Peterson, has showed out at times. I don't know if that's going to happen for the next nine weeks. I just don't trust this offense to put up enough points to go against some of these better teams in the NFC. While you look at Dak and the Cowboys, who their defense is no joke either. Byron Jones is having a career year. I think with mm-hmm. Leighton Van Der Esch, Sean Lee are both outstanding linebackers. Demarcus Lawrence, and now they have uh, defensive tackle. I'm losing his name right now. But the, the guy that just came back from suspension, he's also a standout guy. Right, right, right. I think this Cowboys team is no joke and could beat the Redskins on any given Sunday. I don't think those two mm-hmm. teams, you could really say that Washington would win every time. And I think this NFC East is a lot closer than the Washington Redskins record makes it look. I think they're going to be one of those awful division winners that we look back on and like, how did they win this division? But I think they're, de- they kind of remind me a little bit of uh, Jacksonville last year where they just grind it out. They know who they are. Uh, I guess this makes Adrian Peterson like Leonard Fournette a little bit. But you know what? Alex Smith is no Blake Bortles, so he's going to finish the drill and guide this team uh, to the playoffs where they belong. And then we'll get quickly eviscerated (laughs) by like the Panthers or – I mean, I guess it's probably the Bears. Pan- no, I mean, Vikings. The- I'm, uh, if, if they were going to pick an well, NFC. Well, the Vikings are one of – I think the Vikings are winning the division. That's why I didn't – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, yeah. fair, fair. I think the Vikings do win that division. Green Bay, even Green Bay, though. Green Bay versus Washington. I don't know if – in a oh, playoff God. atmosphere, I don't think Washington's going to able to come overcome that. I was going to say, didn't they beat them? Already? Yes, yes, yes. I, I do know Washington has, has come out with that W. But Green Bay in a playoff atmosphere, I don't see Aaron Rodgers going down. Right. Last thing. Um – what did we miss with the Seahawks this offseason? What did we miss? Why are they better? I think the offensive line yeah, coach. Like I, I the, just I think we all were out on them, right? We all were just like, the Legion of Boom is gone. They hired Brian Schottenheimer, who I am uh, very much not a fan of as an offensive mind in this uh, league, Go, even going back to Georgia and everything else. like uh, The run first stuff scared me. I'm sure Sam Monson, friend of the pod, not a big fan of that mentality of running uh, to get a lead and everything else, but... Um, it's it, it's it working like I, what did we miss with the Seahawks team? I think first and foremost, the improvement of the offensive line is unbelievable. No they, Tom Cable. It turns out to a good thing. They you know they rank near the top of the league in pressures allowed. I think they've only allowed around. 36 38 i don't know the number off the top of my head but they rank inside the top five if not top three in pressures allowed which helps a russell wilson that yes he's great under pressure but he's even better when he's not scrambling for his life wide receivers have shown out for them tyler lockett has one of the highest pass rating i think he has a perfect pass rating when targeted this year 158.3 mm-hmm. when he's being targeted i think that's outstanding david moore has shown out recently he's got three games above with high grades you look at Doug Baldwin, obviously, you know, him returning, being healthy. Chris Carson is one of the best running backs in football. I think he even has the highest grade at PFF in football right now. And then you go to the defense. Really? Yes. Yes. He's right huh. now. He is the among running backs with 60 carries. He's tackled on first contact only 60.2% of the time. The third hmm. lowest of any running back in the football and behind an offensive line. That's actually getting pushed for the first time in about a decade. That's an outstanding <laughs> offense. And then you go to the defense side of the ball. Yes, they lost Earl Thomas, but I'm confident in that Tedrick Thompson and Bradley McDoodled are one of the best, if not the best. Well, now you got factor in Haha Clinton Dix, but I think maybe in the contention of best safety tandem in the NFL, Shaquille Griffin doesn't always grade well because he takes risks. 
but I think he's a standout corner that obviously you know, gets a lot. Of- no, Demonte Kazee and J- Jalen Richards love. How? <laughs> I, I don't even know how you can't uh, put them in the conversation. I do love Demonte Kazee. I covered him at San Diego State when I was there. That guy was a ball hawk, and he's proven to be a ball hawk in the NFL. And he even has the grades to back it up. But I think that defense, from a coverage standpoint, at linebacker is very bad. I think. The corners, Robert Alford and Trufant, have not played to expectation, if not you know far below expectation. And then you look at the pass rush. Right now, Vic Beasley is the worst edge defender in the league, and it's not even <laughs> close. He's, he, I don't understand how he even is mentioned as a top pass rusher at this point. He's ranked last in pressure percentage, last in pass rush productivity, last in total pressures as an edge defender. It's unbelievable how poorly he's, you know, he's played after you know, that season where he had a bunch of sacks. But when PFF went back and looked at the analytics, he had one of the highest sack to pressure ratios that we've ever seen a number that we hmm. knew was unsustainable so kind of an anomaly where exactly exactly we it, knew yeah. that number that ratio was so unsustainable when you compare it to you know the years that we have of data we're like i don't know if this beasley can do that again because it's it's more common to have a low sack to pressure ratio where you're getting way more pressures than you are sacks but he had i think it was nearing 50 percent of his pressures were sacks and that's just just totally unsustainable and getting very lucky with when the ball's thrown and we've seen it come true that vic beasley really doesn't have it. He has the speed rush and that's it. And tackles are able to take it away. Yeah. Um, it's the Falcons schedule down the stretch and everything else. I think they play six of their remaining nine on the road. It's, and they have to go basically like six and three to make the playoffs. It's not happening. Falcons are done. We don't talk about the Falcons anymore. Um, the Seahawks are not done. Um, last thing, uh, are they a playoff team this year? Yes. I think Seattle's a playoff team for sure. I think is Russell- it because of the NFC West is just a dumpster fire outside of the Rams and the Seahawks. I, I think it is, you know, yes, that helps when Arizona and, and San Francisco are not just the doormats of the NFC West, but maybe even the doormats of the NFC. But it also mm. helps when this offensive line turning around is something Russell Wilson really hasn't had in his career. Even on the Super Bowl runs, that was a bad offensive line where he just played really well under pressure. He has a good offensive line now with a running game that is maybe running the ball too much and Sam's and my own opinion. But when he's playing as efficient as he is, he has one of you know one of the fewest attempts in, in the NFL of a starting quarterback that's played is started every game. But he's been so so efficient. He has one of the highest grades in the NFL. And when you're playing with that level of efficiency, it, it's really hard to lose in this league, especially when you are dominating the clock and with time of possession. Yes, it's not you know you don't have to establish the run, you don't have to establish your physical dominance. But if your quarterback is you know far and away the most efficient on on a per dropback basis it's a lot a, a lot easier to run the football like they are austin gale it's always a pleasure sir thank you so much for taking the time on halloween no less i did i take you away from any like fun halloween festivities tonight? not at all i did i ended up no not celebrating too much of halloween i, I kind of gotcha. work too much i'm a workaholic at, at heart same here, man. I, I haven't watched any Halloween movies. I saw Halloween, the the 2018 version, Friday night, which is good. But uh, I have really been slipping uh, this season for Halloween. Maybe I'll get to Hocus Pocus really late tonight. Maybe that's what I'll, oh, wow. I'll wrap up with. Big night for you. Oh, oh man. When you're in your late 20s like this, Austin, <laughs> you are living on Wednesday night on Halloween. That I is, love it. I love it. Do. Well, thanks yeah. again for having me All right, on. Austin. I appreciate your time. Yes. Uh, same time next week, sir. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Austin. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye. Now we are joined by college football blogger for Barstool Sports, Jack McGuire. Jack, good evening. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Um, I hope I'm not pulling you away from any like Halloween uh, shenanigans <laughs> no. on a Wednesday night, Halloween night. 
Uh, funny enough, I was. Uh, I I hope that that you could call me a little bit later because the local Chipotle actually is holding a a little contest where if you show up with your with your a Halloween costume on, you get five dollars off. So I was doing that, and you luckily obliged and allowed me to get on, hop on a little bit later. So that was that was a little nice discount. Oh, perfect. I am a huge Chipotle guy. Eat it just about <laughs> every day I can. So I am happy to oblige and help you out on that front. I also did not know about that, but I also don't think I would partake, even for the $5 off. I don't think it would get me to dress up. I have not dressed up in a very long time. I, don't think I, I didn't. Done it, it was. No, no, no. <laughs> Funny enough, I. I, um, I don't got tell me my... when it's like three hole punch Jack. No, no, no. My, my roommate. So. One of my roommates went with me, and he was dressed up, and he asked for two, and he got me it. So then I paid him back. So he got the discount because he was dressed up. I didn't actually – this was the first year I didn't um, dress up in terms of – obviously, I mean, I haven't been trick-or-treating. That would be a little weird, but there was (laughs) no – there was no – there was no – I did not purchase a Halloween costume this year. I didn't go out to any Halloween – parties but that was just more to do with the timing but i'm I'm with you i'm not the biggest halloween guy either yeah i i just i haven't even gotten to see any halloween movies in the last couple days i've done a really bad job it's it's been really embarrassing i think i'm officially in that old stage where it's just like oh it's just another holiday i mean it's it's (laughs) i like it i think it's a i think it's a great holiday for for children i mean it's awesome just for me i think uh you and I, I think we've outgrown it, which right. I think is good. I think if you were attached to Halloween, it'd be there may be something going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are girls that dressed up the whole weekend like a different costume oh, every night. The, the I, just, I couldn't imagine a little bit different. Yeah, I was, I was, I was talking to somebody today who she was. She showed me her Instagram post how she dressed up on four separate nights and had four oh separate. God really dressing it was impressive she said she really likes to dress up or anything but you know it takes like an hour to two hours like to do that you should have seen her makeup it was she really looked like you could have put her in one of those crazy halloween movies as an extra (laughs) it was it was impressive it was it was definitely impressive have you seen the new halloween movie um no i okay not the biggest movie guy definitely not a big scenes movie guy not a big movie guy you don't hear that very often yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't hate movies or anything. That'd be weird, but uh, I can't even tell you the last movie I watched. Um, oh, my God. More. It, more. I know. I, there's, there's always the classic movies that I love, but there's also, I can't really get behind a lot of movies, but maybe that's, huh. there's something wrong with me with, because of that. More TV guy. Okay, so what is your top three? That we're learning here, Jack. This is how we top three, break top it. Top three we, we, This is how we get there. Say it again? Top three. Top three movies or TV shows? Oh, TV shows. Movies, I feel like TV that might take shows. us 15 minutes to get yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> TV shows, minutes. okay. Yeah. Um, first, I've watched The Sopranos through, I think, five to six times now. I'm like the biggest fan of Sopranos ever. It's in my top ever. three. Junior Soprano uh, for life. Yes. Um, I'm a big Parks and Rec guy. Okay. I, like I haven't Parks watched it since it ended. Okay. Yeah, my roommates sometimes watch it, so I'll, I'll watch the episode here and there. I think it's a uh, it's, it's a pretty good show. I I like The Office, but I'm not going to put it in my top three because it's just mm-hmm. so so it's a basic. Better show than The Office, though. I would agree. Parks and Rec is all I, I'm I'm riding for Parks and Rec over The Office every single time. 
Oh, okay. I, I think I would too. I think it's, I, I'm kind of against the, the grain in terms of just whenever there's someone, something everyone's doing, I'm kind of like this, this movie, A Star is Born. I don't know if it's a good movie because everyone's saying it's a good movie. <laughs> Like it's one of those uh, things where I'm just like I'm not uh, gonna see that movie. There is a zero yeah. percent chance I'm gonna see it. And once I saw, <laughs> isn't Lady Gaga in this? Am I wrong or is yes, that? Yeah, that's, yeah, that I'm that out. is the Lady like, Gaga. I'm out because I just, uh, I just no thanks. I'm good. I don't need to see a Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga movie. I'm okay. Yeah, me either. I I couldn't believe people were talking about how oh it made them so emotional and whatnot. I I just it's Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I, when I saw the commercials, I, I was tell, I was talking to myself saying, but this looks cheesy as hell, but right. I guess not. I, but I'm not going to see it unless I somehow get forced. I am not going to see it. Yeah, I am right there with you. So there we go. We found common ground to start this podcast. We're oh, yeah. on the right track. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to ask you this because I've been thinking about this ever since Saturday ended and this became just a huge game. Um it's a game that not everybody's focused on because it seems like just the national attention all week has been Alabama and LSU and Georgia, Kentucky, but Michigan and Penn state is something that I'm very, very fascinated by. Um, but I'm really nervous about picking Michigan over Penn state and everything that Penn state has done over the last month should tell me that this is an easy thing for Michigan to do, but Michigan, since Harbaugh's taken over, Winning these games, they, like these big, big 10 games, they always end up being close. I mean, we have the Michigan State fumble on the punt. We have the uh, fourth and inches uh, against Ohio State. Like we have all these different scenarios where things just haven't gone Michigan's way in big, big 10 games. But I really don't believe in this Penn State team. And I really believe in this Michigan team. And I'm still so hesitant to pick Michigan on the road in Penn State. Am I crazy? No, I, I I want to call you crazy. Uh, this this game, I completely agree with you that it's kind of fallen off the radar. Uh, when you were looking at big games heading into the season, you were definitely looking, you were circling this one because you were like, oh, for the Big Ten, Big Ten East, this is probably a big time game to really uh, figure out what the hierarchy is. Who's going to find end up end up in the Big Ten championship, playing most likely for a college football playoff slot, but. With the thing that I would say to the response of not believing in Michigan is if you, you even named it yourself, even in those games where we look at that, that often cited record from Harbaugh against quote unquote rivals, how close was he in a lot of those games? I mean, if, if the call was, you can, we can debate about the JT Barrett short versus he got it call all you want. You can all, and then you can also talk about, I mean, how crazy what is the likelihood of what happened in that Michigan State game where the guy dropped the, dropped the ball and it bounced perfectly <laughs> into the Michigan State guy's hands yeah. so he could pick it up and continue the run? So those are two wins right there. And then, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely some – last year they played Ohio State tough. I think for – it's weird. It's, I think in his own way, Jim Harbaugh is underrated because everyone thinks he's overrated. I'm right there with you. Okay. So we're on the same I'm, page there because like, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you look at what he's done, and that was one of my points that I wanted to make is that if you look at what Jim Harbaugh has done since getting to Michigan and you look at what James Franklin has done since getting to Penn state and you compare that with coaches of the last 50 years, Penn state 
even with Joe Paul, was never hitting 10 wins consecutively like they are right now with James Franklin. Like, he has them in a more relevant state than Penn State football program has been in in decades. And then you look at Harbaugh. Like, great. Lloyd Carr, great great coach. It was fine. He had a lot of great seasons. But it never felt like they were just the kind of – they had the talent and the recruiting base and the dominant defense and the dominant offense and everything else where they were just, like, missing the right quarterback year to year for them to get into that national title picture. Like, I think they're just taking both of these coaches for granted. I guess that's my issue with the fan base is it like, just, I understand you get antsy about Harbaugh losing some of these close games. And I understand if you're a Penn state fan, you're annoyed with how the last year of Trace McSorley is going and the way this offense is looking without um, Saquon Barkley and Joe Moorhead and everything else. And it's not perfect, but you would take every, like there are 90 plus fans of different schools and like that would kill to be in the situation that both Penn State and uh, Michigan have found themselves in with their head coaches. So I, I think to your point, Harbaugh has been underrated. And I also think that James Franklin has been underrated at Penn State. I would agree with you completely. I often see people saying, oh, this coach should be fired. Not, not, not necessarily Harbaugh or Franklin, but who? my question is for a lot of those situations, who are you going to get? Well, right. What's better out there? And for James Franklin, I think even though you're right about how it's kind of been disappointing with the fact that Trace McSorley's last year hasn't gone necessarily the plan, but they do have a chance, like you said, to have another 10-game winning season, go win a a relatively big bowl game. And then also you have another top 10 recruiting class from James Franklin. He's a great recruiter, Mm -hmm. and I think he has the ability – to surround himself with great minds that because he knows he's not the best in-game coach. And I think he'll, obviously they've, they've been down without Joe Moorhead, the now coach of Mississippi state. But I think both Penn state and Michigan are completely, like you said, in the best positions they've been in a long time. And those fans should be happy with that. And on Saturday, I, I don't know if you, You've changed your mind throughout this conversation, but I'm definitely going to take Michigan. Uh, I think they're a team that's – I'm really high on them. I think – we'll get to this, the team uh, later in the, the show, but I think Michigan has the defense to give Alabama a game. I don't think there's anybody out there who has a better shot to give it to them rather than Michigan. But I would say Clemson, but I would – sell me on yeah. Michigan being number three. You could definitely sell me on that. And I also think it's interesting because I was talking about uh, with Jordan Yerman on the podcast Monday, uh, kind of like if we played Notre Dame, Michigan again on a neutral site this weekend, or even at Notre Dame, and that was who Michigan played this weekend, I think they'd be favored. And I think I'd pick Michigan over Notre Dame. Oh, no. I think they're a I would, team now. Yeah. No, I was, it's funny. I was just about to say that, that this team is 10 times better than they were than when they, when they played. Uh, Notre Dame early in the season. And that makes sense because think about it uh, with Shea Patterson. He's a guy who really, you need to work out some things to make sure he's running smoothly as the quarterback. He's, he's a guy that it's not going to be like, always oh, in a plug and play. He's not the prototypical Harbaugh quarterback, which I think is good for, for Michigan. And I think they're slowly figuring out. And the defense is just another great Don Brown defense for Michigan. Yeah. It's, and I, if Michigan and Notre Dame played again, I, I, I wouldn't 
I, I think Notre Dame's good. I even think they're better now than they were when they played Michigan, considering mm-hmm. Ian Book. But I think I, I would have to. I don't even. Maybe I'd have to look at a lot of like some of the matchups, but I couldn't see myself not just running to bet on Michigan in that situation. Yeah, um, I am also picking Michigan, but I will say before the Ohio State game, and I think that's going to be a different type of game entirely, but. I think the Penn State team we've seen over the past month kind of indicates to me that this is a team that is susceptible to a beatdown. And Iowa, I mean, they played the most Iowa game possible Saturday with starting out 5 nothing. Penn State does a lot of dumb stuff early and often in games, like they just those two muff punts and everything, and they just do some weird stuff. Trey McSorley threw a pick six, and, I mean, he had that great run and that great, like, Rocky-like moment coming back on the field and having that great, like, uh, QB keeper for, like, 50 yards down the field for a touchdown. Like, it, it's easy to root for him and everything else, but this – Penn State team is more flawed than they've been the last couple of years. And I think if Michigan really wants to jump into that conversation, because right now they are behind LSU um, in the CFP uh, playoff poll, there is something to be said about style points. Like Oklahoma is going to beat the living shit out of everybody else they're playing down the stretch. And Kyler Murray and Lincoln Riley are not going to allow what happened in uh, against Texas to happen again. Like I think they're going 11 and one. I think they're still going to win the big 12 and I think they're going to have a strong case to uh, insert themselves as the fourth playoff team. What Michigan has to do is they have to beat down one of these big time teams. I think they need a beat down because I think a lot of people are still worried about that offense. So it's like, we know Don Brown, as you talked about, has the best defense in college football right now. We know what Michigan is defensively. We know what they're capable of. We still don't trust Shea Patterson in this Michigan Pep Hamilton offense. And I think they need to show not only just the fans, but the voters and the people that really matter on the higher end, that this is a team that can do what Alabama does from time to time, that does what Clemson does, that like they just need to kind of have that signature win. And I think Ohio State's offenses, with, especially with Dwayne Haskins, is just going to score too much, and I don't see them getting blown out again, especially about Michigan. I think Michigan needs some sort of statement blowout. So I will say, Michigan... If you're listening, Jim Harbaugh, I know you're a big fan of the podcast. You have to blow out Penn State this weekend because there is not a better opportunity to really put yourself in a position to get in that top four than by beating um, one of your rivals in a team that has traditionally been a powerhouse in the last couple of years. And uh, it's a little down, kind of Wisconsin-y, where they blew out Wisconsin at home. And this is not the Wisconsin team of old. They should do the exact same to Penn State. Yeah, I, w- I would be shocked if Oklahoma got in over Michigan, if they both ended 11, I don't know. Let me go back. Instead of saying shocked, I I would be surprised just because Michigan's one loss would have been early in the season. and would have been against uh, most likely a team in the college football playoff, Notre Dame, Mm -hmm. but you're not wrong in the, we've seen the college football playoff committee do crazy things. (laughs) And if it would be in their best interest to uh, put a little shellacking on Penn state this weekend, and I was reading today that I think they, they're excited to do that because of last year's game, Michigan really got embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And that was at night. It was a Penn State's whiteout. Right. And they really got embarrassed. And I think they're looking for revenge. As we know, they're calling it the revenge tour, which I don't really like that much because it's kind of a thing that always comes back to bite people. But, hey, if you back it up, it makes it that much, that much cooler. 
Yeah. Is there anything Trace McSorley can do specifically that you've seen this year um, that could make him um, really excel against this Don Brown defense? I mean, I don't think it's Trace McSorley. I just think it's everybody else. I think he, uh, obviously he missed the Saquon. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I mean, Miles Sanders is still, uh, he's a Miles Sanders is very good. Yeah. He's a Mm -hmm. great villain. He's probably a top 10, top 15, uh, not NFL, top 15 college football running back. Mm-hmm. But I think it's he like also going from misses... Gurley to Nick Chubb, where it's um, yeah, he's not, the trans- <laughs> he's not just like the superstar once in a generation running back, but he's still going to be an NFL like second round pick. He's still g- good enough to win a title as your running back. Yeah, I also think he misses Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator. Yes, I think he misses him a lot. Ricky Ran, I th- I think that's how you say his last name. Maybe Ron, Ranny. R A H N E. R A H N E. What? However, the the offensive coordinators for Saves Uh I, I if I recall correctly, he's 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 a young guy, and I think they're going through some growing pains, which stinks because you have Chase McSorley, he's not going to be here next year. Mm-hmm. So, and now they're going up against a Michigan defense, which is. I would say probably the best in the country and yeah. it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough battle. So Trace McSorley, I mean, maybe he just goes in Superman mode, but he's no, he's not somebody who's going to put the entire team on his back. He needs guys around him. He needs weapons around him, which isn't a knock on him. Not that he can't do something a hundred percent by himself. It's that he just he just needs some help, and I don't know if he has it this year necessarily. Are you a Kentucky believer? Because if you're not, join me, Jack. Kentucky yeah, it's funny. Wildcat I, fever. I have it. Oh, so you are a believer? Oh, 100. percent I'm all in okay. on being awesome. I the you- 2015 Florida Jim McElwain Florida Gators. That is exactly who they are. They're an offense that you just hate to watch. They have a terrible quarterback. You're just like, if they had a good quarterback, this would be so much better. They have a good running game. They have a top 10 defense, top 15, whatever. They don't have the talent to win a national title. But you know what? They have enough to win the SEC East. And uh, just playing the biggest game in Lexington history this weekend at home, I have Kentucky here. I'm a Kentucky believer. What they did in Missouri is illegal in 23 states. Just, I could not believe that's how they won that game and getting just the bogus pass interference call to the untimed down and winning that way. The punt return touchdown, everything is just, sometimes it's just, you need luck. And that kind of relates back to Michigan where it does kind of feel like Michigan's turning the corner and certain things are going their way now. Um, they're getting over that hump by just taking care of both Wisconsin and Michigan State. And, you know, Kentucky feels like it's kind of their year where Tennessee's down, um, Florida's uh, going through a rebuilding stage, and they beat Florida for the first time in a thousand years. Yeah, that's correct. It was actually a thousand years the last time um, uh, Kentucky beat uh, Florida. But I just feel like this is a season where Georgia's susceptible, and I thought Jake Fromm rebounded really strong after the bye week against Florida, but there is something still off with this Jordan team. This defense is not who they were last year. And when you lose as much talent as they did, like Roquan Smith and everybody else, um, you're more susceptible to teams like Kentucky, who have their own uh, power running game and Benny Snell, who uh, is going to gash this defense. So I, I think this is a bad matchup for Georgia. So I am a Kentucky believer in the sense that they should beat Georgia at home and then 
will have the opportunity to lose 56 to nothing to Alabama in the SEC title game. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it seems like that's the path they're going down. Uh, I'm a believer in them. I think they have one of the best defenses in the country with Josh Allen, Cash Daniels. I am concerned with their offense. It's it's tough to see. I think they actually played decent against Missouri last week. I think they deserved to score more than the 15 points they scored. Obviously, they got some luck, so it all evens out in the end. But I think they were in Missouri territory two or three times where they went for it on fourth and one and didn't convert. It does concern me sometimes that it seems like they don't want to run with mm-hmm. Benny Snell. And there was even a point in last game where it seemed like Benny started to get uh, become a little agitated. He came off the field, and I think he was young at the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Now, he he the, that Missouri rush defense is phenomenal. So you, you mm-hmm. do have to give – you do and their pass defense, as we saw – against Alabama just gets is really susceptible. I mean, Terry Wilson, he was 22 for 31 and we all know Terry Wilson isn't very great. And he threw for almost 300 yards. If you do that against, I mean, it's Terry Wilson at the end of the day, he's not, he's nothing special. I don't, I don't think any Kentucky fan would tell you he's anything special. And he did that against the Missouri defense. Now it's going to have to be reversed to beat Georgia. And I think you hit the nail on the head that this Georgia defense is really susceptible to a great rushing attack. And that's what Kentucky has. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm a believer in them. I know the line right now sits around eight or nine points. And I think that makes sense just because of how great or how talented Georgia is. But I can, I do not see a, I do not foresee a situation where I'm not taking Kentucky plus the points especially considering it's at home. It's the biggest game in, I think, program history. Yeah. I'm not a Kentucky football historian, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I've not seen one mentioned. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a Woods believer in Wildcats. But nation. I don't recall any of them uh, featuring any of these kind of big game atmospheres. I mean, we all love I mean, Renzen. This is, this is essentially, it's like, if you were to map out the college football playoff and that be the final four, this is pretty much the Sweet 16. You win this right. one, you go to the Lead Eight, which is the SEC Championship. And obviously, playing Alabama in the Lead Eight is going to be difficult. But you need to or win LSU, the Sweet 16. Or LSU. We or should LSU. mention that there yeah, is a strong possibility that Alabama does what they did last year, which is just the most effective way of avoiding all kinds of nonsense, is not having to play in an extra uh, pseudo playoff game and letting LSU win, get in the playoff, and they just sneak in as the four seed and blow everybody out all over again. Like it, that's yeah. very much in play too. That is, I, so at Barstool, obviously the head, uh, Dave Portnoy, people know him as Prez, El Presidente. He went to Michigan. He's a Michigan alum. And he says he's going to have to have to root for LSU this weekend because he can foresee a situation where Alabama loses this one. And then, it turns out LSU wins the SEC championship. Then you have one LSU, two Clemson, three Notre Dame, and then four Michigan gets left out, and we have an Alabama team. I, I Just because how the college football playoff committee works with uh, how they rank, rank resumes, I would be shocked 
if they did that just because Michigan, if Alabama doesn't win this weekend, what's their best win? Texas A&M? Uh, Maybe yeah, Auburn, probably. but Auburn's at home. They they won't Mississippi State, which is at home too. Yeah. It's, I, it's probably I mean, A&M. I, think I would even the best team on their schedule. I I mean I even, even LSU. I think I'm a big Texas A&M believer. Maybe that's all that is, but um, yeah. I, I guess it's nope. A&M, but it's like one of those things we just the the idea of Tua Nick Saban not being in the playoff. They would have to lose two games it, if they only lose one and lose to lsu they're still getting in i think even if it's not fair like i i i'm right there with you where like a one loss alabama team that doesn't play in their championship game matched up with like a one loss michigan team and like a one loss oklahoma team uh i i think it's interesting i think it's a conversation that needs to be had well at that point michigan would have beaten wisconsin twice or wisconsin iowa Michigan State on the road, Penn State, and Ohio State. Don't discount State on the, the road. Northwestern Wildcats, Jack. The yes. big, <laughs> big Ten West champs, who are like seventeen and one in their last uh, eighteen Big Ten games. They that's what they do. Alex Smith wins regular season NFL games. Northwestern wins Big Ten regular season games. That's what I was, Fitzgerald does. I was talking about how Northwestern. Uh, if you're gonna play, I think Northwestern at noon on a Saturday in the middle of November or October is a scarier place to play than LSU at night. Oh, wow. I, I think that is it a is. take. I like it. Just because if you're at LSU, you're in essentially fuck you mode because you're <laughs> like, it's us against the world. We're hmm. coming into the stadium with 100,000 people. They want to see us lose. You can get motivated for that. If you like, you know, it's hard to get motivated for playing in front of a bunch of kids who are a thousand times smarter than you. Uh, half of the seventy-five percent of the student population probably isn't at the game or even close, even thinking about the game. They're in the library. It's gloomy. It seems every Northwestern game I watch, it's gray. It's just it could be at twelve o'clock or it could be at midnight. It's just gray outside, and it's a gloomy crowd. It's an unmotivated crowd. You're playing on grass. It's yeah. I, I I was discrediting Northwestern there, and I shouldn't have because they have a home field advantage that I think is one of the best in America, just because of how weird it can be. Right, and it just sucks. Like you know, when you play this team, you're like, I don't even know who Clayton Thorson is. Like if you had to explain Clayton Thorson as a quarterback, well, he got benched in the opener against Purdue. Uh, some games he throws like 36 for 48. Some games it's like nine for 12. Um, I I don't know if he's a game manager or just a guy who thinks he's Brett Favre. Like, I I don't know how I would describe the Clayton Thorson experience. I I don't even know if Northwestern fans that watch every game could describe who Northwestern is on offense, especially with Clayton Thorson. Clayton Thorson, yes. He's just one of those guys. He's kind of like, he's the subway of, of college football quarterbacks. He's just there. He's not, you don't hate him. You don't love him. Sometimes mm, he's no just Chipotle. Have, he's no Chipotle. You'll like you'll have a Subway sandwich and it'll be like, oh, that's okay. And it will. It maybe you're really hungry. It will thirst that hunger. But at the end of the day, you're never going strictly for Subway, unless yeah. I maybe maybe a listener out there is a big Subway supporter. <laughs> maybe you are. But well, you just canceled out one of our future presenting sponsors. I think. I think we're yeah. still running for Chipotle, <laughs> but I think Subway's out. I think we can go ahead and cross them off. 
No, yeah, the uh, I would definitely say Kentucky has a shot. I know we got sidetracked there, but Kentucky has a shot this weekend. And then I I keep going back back and forth with LSU and Alabama. I'm just, I'm not shocked. I know a lot of people are shocked that the Lions at 14. I'm not particularly. I think that makes sense. I think a lot of people overrate LSU. I do think the defense. I'm really excited to see Tua against this defense because mm-hmm. the Texas A&M has a decent defense, but he's played a lot of soft defenses throughout this season, and I really want to see what he does. I want to see not him because we know how he responds to adverse situations. Uh, obviously, because we saw him win the national championship at Alabama, but I want to see this Alabama team. What happens if they get smacked in the nose? Uh, yeah, what happens, like what if, happens they if they, they fall behind the ten nothing? Like what happens exactly. if they do if they do what Auburn did to themselves against LSU, where Jarrett sit him through a pick and fumbles, and it's just imploding in the first quarter, and they have to claw their way back and all that kind of stuff? Like what if he doesn't find Jerry Judy on like a seventy-five yard bomb exactly. to start the game? What happens then? Yes. What if you're not scoring your typical thirty-one points in the first half? What happens when is your offense gonna? stay together if you have three three or four straight drives without scoring because I don't even think it's happened yet this season that Alabama sent out their punter on consecutive drives <laughs> that sounds which right. is yeah. ridiculous yeah I I don't know if that's a stat but I'd be willing to bet that's a stat being the punter at Alabama yeah or the Chiefs punter both pretty good gigs I'm yeah, sure both Colquitt pretty good gigs yeah, I, I, I've i never thought that Dustin Colquitt is not the punter in Kansas City anymore. I'm pretty sure that's the rule, is he has to be the punter there. Yes, he's the pu- he'll be the punter there in 2050. Right, like Adam Vinatieri, <laughs> he's just a kicker in Indianapolis. He's just going to be there. Yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah. Some guys are Adam just Vinat- there. You're, you're programmed. You're, I'm going to have there. a kid. I'm going to have a kid. He's going to have a kid, and that kid will be watching Adam <laughs> Vinatieri hit 49 yarders. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, I don't know how to do it. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, we kind of touched on this with OU, but do you think there is a chance, based on West Virginia, the way they blew out um, Baylor in just brutal fashion uh, last Thursday? They get extra time for a big game against Texas this weekend. Um, it's at Texas, which scares me. But Baylor, I mean, they're not as good as what they looked with Charlie Brewer, who was graded pretty highly. Um, from PFF uh, the first part of the season, but Baylor's still a couple years away. Um, West Virginia got caught up in the Ames, uh, just clusterfuck of dealing with... Uh, That's Rock a great... And Ames, and everything. Ames yeah. is exactly like playing in at Northwestern. Right. It's a little bit different. The crowd is a lot more into it, but it's one of those teams where you're just like, we should beat this team by 100 points but we're somehow losing by two scores. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be maddening because like Dana Holgerson, no, like if you play that, if you, if you play it on a neutral site, hundred times, West Virginia beats Iowa state 90 times. And yeah, it, it's got to suck because that offense is legit. And you see what they can do, especially when they're at home and just blowing out Baylor early and often. We got to see um, the best Miami quarterback of the last five years, get some time. Uh, Mr. Allison with the best gift of the weekend. Um, I guess we can count the Thursday game as the weekend. Did you see that with his uh, um, Kobe Bryant like uh, yeah holding the pose and everything? <laughs> this is the backup quarterback who right. threw his first touchdown, right? Yeah, yes. I did see that. That was pretty cool. I, I mean, that's almost a week ago. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about it. that. Was funny. 
that was, was that was cool. It was my favorite thing because I was like, oh, if you're a Miami fan watching, like, what are you even doing right now? You have Nikosi Perry and Malik Rozier just having a sad battle um, with Mark Rick in Miami, and you lost Allison, who's been sitting behind Will Greer for the last couple of years, and it's probably going to put up insane stats for Dana Holgerson next year at West Virginia, and they'll compete for an Orange Bowl. So um, poor Miami fans, but uh, it's cool. I'm glad West Virginia is good. But do you it's think funny that, that you, there's – It's funny oh, that you – it's funny that you associate Dana Holgerson with the Orange Bowl just because of that. I'm sure it's just because of that 70 to 33. Oh, how could you forget? The, yeah. <laughs> they are the Orange Bowl team. Like they, yeah. Those are the rules. <laughs> Until someone has a more memorable Orange Bowl performance, and no offense to our Northern Illinois Huskies, I mean, you uh-huh. and I are both big fans of the Maction, and who could forget that legendary run for them? Um, with Jordan the Orange Bowl. Lynch, of course. But uh gotta say, I think the most memorable is what West Virginia did to Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I, yeah. I think that's the most memorable one. I remember where I was. That's how I know that it was an absurdly important game in my life. Is I remember being at a party in the basement watching this and being like, No, 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 no. we have to watch this. I don't think they're letting up. I think they're gonna keep scoring. I think this is happening. I think this is just the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. They're gonna keep going. Um I yeah, think no, that it, it was game great. that game, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm a big Jets fan, and I think mm-hmm. that if that game didn't happen, I don't know if Geno Smith ever becomes a Jet. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it was it was a great game in terms of college football history, but I don't know if it helped out my fandom necessarily. He was in the wrong era because he was so accurate. He was someone that, like, when you watched him at West Virginia, like, I think he would have gotten some. He if he was drafted in 2018, I think just seeing Josh Allen go in the top 10 and certain guys like that, I'm like, you know. I feel like today's game would have been better for Geno. Like it's over now, but I, I think I I still like the idea of Geno Smith. I I cannot leave the memories alone. <laughs> I don't know if you watched enough Geno Smith. Yeah, I'm not talking yeah. NFL Geno. I will never forget college oh, football okay. Geno, where oh, like, I he was a legitimate Heisman Gino. guy, and it just I I really did think he was going to be good in the NFL. I really did. I, I was shocked it went the way it did. I was a Geno guy for sure. Yeah, yeah. Gino, he was a lot of fun in college, not as much in the NFL. Maybe if he got drafted this year, he would have been a little bit better. But right. I always think of back to that. What was the score in that game? West Virginia Baylor. I think it was 70 to 63 or something. Yeah, something like that. I know what you're talking about. I apologize. I, I cut you off in terms of West Virginia and Texas, if you want to get back oh, to that. OU. Like, kind of like if they beat Texas this weekend, and I actually have Texas here, um, because it's just coming off the way they lost to Oklahoma State on the road, them being back at home, Ellinger looking healthy, this defense coming together. I could see this being a bad spot for West Virginia. But um, if, if West Virginia wins here, and they run the table, and we see West Virginia versus Oklahoma and the big 12 playoff which would be amazing um and they like who do you favor in that scenario do you think west virginia would have the better resume or would you believe in west virginia more who do you believe in more even at the moment both teams have one loss now who are you a bigger believer in west virginia or oklahoma wow that's (laughs) i haven't figured it out that's why i'm asking i i've gone back my gut says oklahoma yeah but your heart says they both have problems on defense. They both have a prolific quarterback. They both have great wide receivers. So 
very similar. It's going to be weird because we could have a situation uh, with West Virginia win on Saturday. Oklahoma ends up beating Oklahoma State, which I, I'd be shocked if they didn't. We could have a situation where Oklahoma and West Virginia play in back-to-back weeks because yes. you have Oklahoma at West Virginia the final week of the season. Then they could play again in the Big 12 championship game, which would be, I don't know, I think it would just be very, very weird. stupid. I think we can say it at the very I don't, least. What is the Big 12 big, thinking? They cannibalize themselves with this Big 12 championship game. Yeah. It makes no sense. The... Big 12 and Pac-12. There's something about having that that 12 at the end of their name where that just – those teams love cannibalizing themselves. They just <laughs> eat their yeah. – they eat their own, and then they end up all 10-2, and two, and no one makes the college football playoff, and everybody all just makes – All the underdogs and then, won this weekend in the Pac-12 except for one team. They live for I, it. <laughs> and they just eat – they eat their own. There's no other right. way to say it. I think – I, right now, my gut, if you were to put a gun to my head, ask me who's better, I would 100% say Oklahoma. Okay. But they're very similar. But we, yeah. Like we said, Will Greer and uh, Kyler Murray, Kyler runs a little bit more, but Will Greer probably has a little bit better of an arm. The wide receiver core for both teams are phenomenal. And then there's he just, you don't trust their defenses. Yeah, it's, and I think I just slightly trust West Virginia's defense a little bit more. I trust the Gibson, the Gibson group a little bit more than uh, Oklahoma. But maybe Oklahoma without Stoops running things, that it's going to be a different kind of defense. I, I mean, it's possible. We'll see. I mean, they got how a great much start. change can happen though? If you, you know what I'm saying, yeah. If how much change? Maybe just the aspect. I guess you could say, oh, this team's motivated because Bob, uh, because Mark Stoops is gone, right? is gone but it's not like they're going to be running that much different of a scheme maybe yeah, I mean, mcneil yeah. maybe ruffin mcneil's making a little bit better play calls mm-hmm. I, I don't know it's just maybe it's a bit more cohesion uh, because he did hire lincoln riley at eastern carolina and they're gonna be one on the same page and stoops is a holdover from his brother's administration like i could see that um, but you know what wouldn't help is adding Brian Van Gorder to the mix. I think if they, as long as Oklahoma <laughs> doesn't bring him in as a defensive specialist, I think they'll be fine. I don't know that whatever's going on in Louisville right now is, uh, is insane. Gross. But no, yeah, Brian Van Gorder, uh, if he has a job after mm-hmm. this year, I mean, he probably will. Who knows? You know He's what? Be the next head coach at Georgia State. Who knows? Yes. Can't roll it out. <laughs> uh, well, well, he was, funny enough, he was the head coach at Georgia Southern. Oh, I'm familiar the, with this, sir. I, yes. I know about this, the 3-9 and nine Georgia Southern team where he refused to run the option and lasted Which is, one season. If you yeah. want to get killed in the state of Georgia, go become the Georgia Southern head coach and tell them, we're running the spread off. We're running <laughs> spread or pro option. They, they're a cult when it comes to the triple option. And then, Which is weird because we it sucks early. to watch. I'm very anti-watching the triple option. I hate it. Interesting. Yes, I I don't hate it. I can have it in doses. I love watching Army here and there. I love watching Navy here and there. I'm not a guy who's going to say, oh, I wish the, I have all of college football was triple option. I think it's just right. 
the amount of teams that have the triple option right now is just right. Maybe Georgia Tech should stop doing it, but outside of that, it's just it's just right. Okay. It's a good way of ending this. I always plan to end it with Georgia Tech uh, triple option talk. <laughs> Georgia Southern as well. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jack. Well, this is where our journey ends. Thanks uh, for talking with me, man. I really do appreciate it. No, this was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And uh, best of luck. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. If not, um, we'll see who. It seems like we're on uh, similar sides for all the games this weekend. But yeah, it should be a lot of fun. This weekend is going to be a lot of fun. I agree. Well, we can read you at barstoolsports.com. Follow you on Twitter at JackMaxCFB. And yeah, so go do that. And uh, don't be a stranger. Maybe uh, you can come back next Wednesday. We'll see. Who knows? 100%. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.